You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Guys, I had pasta for dinner tonight. And Nathan McKinnon knocked down my door and suplexed me through a table. Was it worth it, though? Oh, hell yeah. I hate you guys. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Tracking the Storm podcast. I'm Brandon. That's Matt and Alex. Uh, We are a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And before we jump into what's going to be a very fun episode, let's take a moment and take a quick word from DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. Speaking of America, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold, and DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for our listeners. Listen to this great offer. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds of of an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. 100 turn 100 to 1 odds on an offer like this doesn't come around often. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all the action. DraftKings Sportsbook is easy to navigate. There's plenty of instructions for new bettors and nearly limitless ways to get in on the action. I, I love using it. And my friends and family have been loving it too. And, and I know you will as well. So get on that. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins any medal. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? And welcome back to another week of the Tracking Storm podcast. My name is Brandon. That's Matt and Alex. Lots to talk about this week. We are giving you our full draft breakdown. And along with that, we have a very special guest this week, uh, contributor to the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated, uh, Tony Ferrari. So, Tony, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we're excited to have you. No problem. Thank you, boys. That's the first intro with the new title and everything. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Literally All the right. day of. Yeah, yeah. Him up day right of. <laughs> big, day, big day for all of us, eh? Um, but yeah, we... Uh, Matt was obviously gone last week, so we are definitely going to get into some uh, more free agency stuff as well that, you know, Alex and I have kind of already given our thoughts on. But Matt is going to go off on a tangent, I'm sure. So look forward Absolutely. to that later on. But uh, first, again, it's a little over a week after the NHL draft. It was a very, very interesting one. Um, 
obviously it was a very tough year just for scouts in general. Um, you know, the, the inability to see these players in person and interact with them. Um, it, it was just a weird year. So I, I figure that's probably where we're going to start off and talk about a little bit. Um, so Tony, can you just like kind of talk about beyond just like not being able to see them in person? Like, so can you maybe just give us some insight into what the struggles really were, you know, for the NHL scouting departments ahead of the 2021 NHL draft? It was a weird year. It really was because like you said, there's the, the COVID pandemic and then there was not being able to get into rinks, not seeing all these, being able to see these players. So it was really interesting talking to a few different people from a few different front offices to see how they were kind of coping and in how we we're coping in the public sector as well. Like myself, I, I do a lot of video scouting as it is because at the end of the day, I, I wasn't being paid to fly over to Sweden or fly to Finland or any of these places to watch these players. So a lot of the European guys I had to go watch in, on video and I'm, I'm used to that. And outside of Ontario and some of the States, that's kind of where I'm located. I, I don't generally get to see a lot of the players at, uh, in person, unless there's a tournament, which is nice. There is a lot of stuff going on in Plymouth that I get to see, but it, it, it's always an interesting year for, for figuring out how front offices were doing it because I talked to some and they were like, oh, we're, we're really relying on our, our European scouting staff this year because they're in the they're in the rinks and they can kind of see things a little bit better than we can. And then other front offices were saying that, oh, we're doing a ton more video scouting. They're in, investing in that side of things. And I, I think that was the way to go, to be completely honest. That way you're not missing out on a bunch of players just because you couldn't see them in person. And I, I think Carolina did a really good job of that this year. I think they got a ton of value throughout this draft. And I mean, despite all the timeouts and the trade backs and everything that happened with Carolina this year, it was, it was a wild draft, but man, like they got a ton of players. Like the first three players off their board, I was just like clapping every, every pick they made basically. Yeah. Those were, those were all great picks. It just sucks that they made me wait like seven hours between each. <laughs> yeah. Going back to kind of how, you know, how tough it was on scouting this year. One question I'd have for you, um, based on like how the OHL season was completely shut down, they didn't play a single game at all. Do you think that was kind of an area where, you know, based on the lack of tape that these players got out, uh, haven't played in over a year, do you think that caused some players like Bryce Montgomery in specific, who the Hurricanes picked up in the fifth round, do you think that that not getting any tape out, out this year at all kind of caused them to maybe fall down? maybe fall down the board a little further than they would have gone, even say even if they got a short sample size like the WHL or the QMJHL or do you think that really played into it at all? I definitely think it did play into it and it's unique to each player I think really because we saw players like a Wyatt Johnson get jump up into the first round and get selected by the stars and and honestly like there there's nothing on his tape that ever kind of gave me that feeling whether it was the U18s or his season from the year before I saw him a lot in Windsor because that's where I'm located and he's a good player and I kind of pegged him in the second, third round, but for him to go in the first round, I think that was a lot of teams projecting off of a, a few good games at a world under 18 and going, well, hopefully this is actually what there is. And, and that's why he went so high. But then on the flip side, you got a guy like Bryce Montgomery who didn't get to even showcase those, those few games at the world under 18s. And, and he fell a little bit and he's this physical freak defenseman. And you're like, well, where is he projecting to? And where is he kind of, working to this season without all that ice time. And that's kind of the question with him. So it really depended on the player, but yeah, you did kind of see most of these OHL guys drop probably around maybe two rounds, maybe even three rounds from where they, they should have been drafted. Yeah. Um, just to kind of piggyback up a little bit, what you were saying with uh, Montgomery, and it, it seems like he very much fits into the hurricanes, you know, just drafting all upside lately. And like, 
they take players that maybe would like be pushed down or taken completely off of other teams' boards, like Noel Gundler, uh, Alexander Passion, Zion Nybeck. Like, there's a lot of players they've taken recently that, you know, size or playing in Russia or whatever, but they have like super high upside. So, what's like kind of your take on the Hurricanes' draft strategy over the last few years? I love it. They're, they're drafting off my board the last couple of years. And I, I, I love to see it because I, I've always, especially once you get outside the first round, the first round, you can kind of go, okay, I, I see this guy projecting as a second line center. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where he's going to be. Like, you don't have to worry about the floor as much. Whereas with some of these guys outside the first round, just swing for that upside because like there's that stupid saying that they tell kids all the time, shoot for the stars. Cause worst case you'll land on the moon. <laughs> like that's kind of what you're getting here with this hurricanes draft, right? You, you get Scott Morrow, Hemel Selmy, Koivinen, uh, Bryce Montgomery, like all, all these guys throughout this draft class, Robert Orr, Justin Robidaw. You got a lot of guys who are these high upside guys where if, if they work out, they they're going to be a good player. And, and even if they don't hit their ceiling, they get 80% there. You're still getting a functional NHL at the end of the day. And I think that's the way to do it why draft a player that you're like, Oh, I can picture him on our fourth line when you can go, Oh, I I'd rather draft this guy who I can picture in our top six. And worst case, he ends up as his energy fourth liner. I'm taking that player all day. Yeah. Absolutely. Ron Francis. Listen to this man. <laughs> like, That's not our problem anymore. I know, but <laughs> at some point you get so sick of the team, just drafting guys who at best are going to be third line players. It seems like their bust rate is just as high as these guys that with a high upside, you know. So why don't, why not throw a bunch oh, of darts yeah. at the board and see what happens? I mean, that's always kind of funny. Opinion. It's funny to me that more GMs don't do that, but hey, maybe they won't catch on for a while, and the Hurricanes <laughs> keep scooping them up. <laughs> no, that's always been my opinion. Like a, a guy like last year with Alexander Passion, I had him exceptionally high on my draft board, much much higher than he was drafted, and I want to say I had him in the forties and. I knew that was extremely high for him, but I'm like, man, the upside on this kid's ridiculous. Yeah. He's a little small and he's staying and he's going to want to stay in Russia a few extra years, but like worst case scenario, you, you threw away a second round pick when realistically all of these guys have pretty high bust rates at that point. Like the, the, yeah. the odds of getting a guy in the second round are like 10% at best. And, and right. that's a, the best drafting team. So take that swing, man, go for the home run. Cause if you get a triple, you're that's you're, you're laughing. Right. So, I guess this year's draft, you know, it was considered a weaker draft. And I mean, obviously there wasn't as much high-end talent right at the top of this draft class, but I mean, you've still got a bunch of players with high upside. And I mean, we're talking about Justin Robida, a guy that, you know, fell to I think the fifth or sixth round being talked about as a guy with, you know, top six upside potentially. So, you know, when you, when you have these drafts where there's a lot more, I guess, raw or, unpolished prospects you know what are you kind of looking for when you when you draft and what might the hurricanes kind of look for i think the big thing here is you look for the projectable tools what 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 tools can you kind of stack on top of each other and and i know elite prospects uses the term stackable tools and i think that's a great way to put it can you get you look at a player like scott morrow and i think that's the perfect example of this and that was a guy that i had in my top 20 almost all year long um, I was very, very high in him. And it was because you saw the stackable tools. You saw the skating was there. You saw the agility, the, his ability to change direction and pace. And and then you were like, okay, well, how is he with his hands? Well, he's got really good hands. And and he, you saw him do all these little things that seemed like at the next level, it would all play up. And then when we saw him in the USHL, and he was fantastic at the USHL. He was one of the best players in the, in the final. He was very, very functional completely throughout the USHL playoffs. And he was a guy that I think people were concerned about because he did play high school all year. But 
when, when you saw him dominate and just can completely take over a game when he's playing 40 minutes a game at times. Uh, I mean, I, I use a program called Instat and they track everyone's game time. They have all this additional information on there. And on Scott Morrow's page, you saw games up near 39 minutes and you're like, that's Jeez. ridiculous. And then you watch him and you're like, oh no, he actually legitimately played 39 <laughs> minutes. Like that was ridiculous. Like, and he's the best player out there for every single one of those minutes. So you watch him in the USHL and he's, he's really good there as well. You take this kid and you let him go to university and develop. That's a guy that you could see in your top four and being a functional player at five on five on the power play, even on the penalty kill, I think, because he has the size, he has the speed, the skating, the smarts. I, I, I love everything about this kid's game. And, and one of the things that I love most about him was his attitude and his mindset, because I talked to him earlier this year and, I asked him, I'm like, so do you pay attention to draft boards and like the draft coverage and all that stuff? I know a lot of prospects don't and some do. And he goes, well, I, I would love to, but the only reason I don't is because when I'm not number one, I'm, I'm a little pissed off. And like for a high school player to say that, I'm like, yes, get cocky, do <laughs> right. it. Like, this is what I love. Like, I love that mindset. So getting Hell this guy yeah. in, in the second round, I, I was laughing. I was clapping the entire time the pick was made. Yeah. I had a lot of people, um, talking about wanting him as even a first round option. I mean, obviously the Canes had zero first round options, but you know, I mean, when you can get a guy like Morrow and sure, again, there's not, there's a chance that he doesn't work out just like there's a chance for every player in this draft to not work out. But when you, when you get a player with that high upside with your first pick, it might as well be a first round pick. I mean, I've also been spoiled with having Instat the, uh, the past week, and my God, watching some of the Kings draft play, drafted players has been awesome. And getting to see a guy like, you know, Alexi Himosalmi, who, you know, still kind of has a little bit of inconsistency. I'm not fully sold on if he'll be able to stick in an NHL lineup yet, but my God, is this kid fun to watch. Yeah. Like when he's yeah. on his game, like he might be one of the best defensemen on the ice at all times. And and honestly, like with this draft, I think the Canes drafted my two favorite defensemen to watch in this entire draft and Scott Morrow and Alexi Helmoselmi. I I think Helmoselmi has got so much skill and upside and potential to just be that difference maker on both ends of the ice. I think he has some really good defensive tendencies as well. But like you said, that consistency, he is a little bit small and slender for his size. And and you're like, okay, is he going to fill out? And there are things he needs to do to definitely improve to get to the NHL level. But if he's able to do some of the things he's doing now over in Finland, I think you're laughing because this kid could be really special. All right. Well, we've talked about Hamasami and we've talked about Moro. Let's talk about the other second round pick just for a minute, just because he's my favorite of the second round picks, Billy Koivinen. Um, I've, well, I've also watched him the most of the three. So maybe that's probably my bias kicking in, but I think he has the potential to be a really, really good, potentially even top six forward. Um, what do you think about him? I know he's playing in like a lower league in Finland, the junior A league, but put up impressive numbers and the kid just looks like a really good offensive talent. It's going to sound like a broken record, but I, I love this pick too. All three of these guys, I had my first round, all three of them. Nice. Um, I, I think they're all players that can make a difference at the next level. I think Billy Coven is such a smart, intelligent yep. center Absolutely. or winger story, but he plays like a center at times offensively because he does control the pace of play like that. I don't think he'll ever actually play down the middle. He doesn't really have the size or the strength and, 
and he doesn't have the, the speed necessarily to play that, that center ice position, but he's got such an intelligent game. He picks the, 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 the opponent apart and he's such a tactician on the ice. Yeah. He finds the players wherever they're needed and he puts the puck where it is and, and good things happen wherever he passes the puck to. I think Samuel Tuomala was a, a player that a lot of people really hyped up all year long. And I was a big fan of him too. He has a great shot, but a lot of the times when you were watching him play, it was Billy Coyvin and making all of the magic happen. And, Samuel Tuomala gets the credit because he gets that goal on that ridiculous shot he has. But yeah. man, Koivinen's got a shot of his own. And I think this guy could be a real dual threat at the NHL level. And I'm looking forward to seeing all three of these guys at the NHL level. Hockey sense, baby. But yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Moving along. Um, obviously there was a big, uh, a big kind of uproar in the Hurricanes fan base over the past couple weeks after they <laughs> traded Alex Nadelkovic, obviously for a third round pick. And with that third-round pick, they take uh, Aiden Reeschuk, another defenseman, another smooth skating, um, good two-way defenseman. Uh, I like him a lot, personally. I think that this guy, he's got a lot of tools that would trans- translate well to the NHL level. Not sure he really has a defining trait that would make him have, you know, top pair, or maybe even second pair upside. I kind of see him as like a 4-5 or five D down the road should he reach his ceiling. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to know your thoughts on on what you think Reeschuk offers as a player and if you like that pick as well. I did like that pick because he was a guy that I, I was really high on to start the year. And admittedly, he did have kind of a, a meh year. It wasn't that he had a bad year. He he showed perfectly fine. He was scoring at a pretty decent clip at the, with the national team development program. And, and there was no real moment where you're like, oh, man, he hashtag's playing really bad. It was just he didn't seem to take that step you expected to from his D minus one season. And, and still with, with getting him in the third round, like I said, at the start of the year, I, I kind of projected him as a late first round pick. So I still love this pick. He's got the skating. He's got the, some of that offensive ability. I think he could be on a power play if you wanted to put him on the second unit. And I, I think he's a valuable piece that, like you said, he may not be that two, three that some people may have thought, including myself at the start of the year. But if he's that four or five guy who has a little bit of that offensive flair and has the mobility, I think he's a guy that you can kind of work into to being a, a solid contributor at the NHL level. And like I said, second power play upside, maybe, but worst case, you have a solid number th- or third pairing defenseman there. Yeah. So the, the next player I want to kind of talk about is we are going to talk about all of them, aren't we? <laughs> There's 13. And <laughs> in all honesty, I'm still trying to figure out what a Yegor Naumov is. Yo, same um, here. Like, the Canes picked a guy in the seventh round with, I think, nine games of tape in the MHL this past season. So, like, <laughs> that's a giant shrug. It's not really a weirder pick than Kacharski from a couple of years ago, is it? I mean, Kacharski played in more games, though. I mean, but he's played in like eight games in three years since. Well, then. you know, you know what I mean. But <laughs> so, I want to talk about um, Patrick Hamerla, Hamerla, however you say it, because this is a guy who the NHL Central Scouting ranked as the third best um, European goalie. But nobody else seemed to rank him in their rankings. Um, is it just a case of him playing in the Czech leagues, or is it a case of him, you know, just not having, I don't know, something? Yeah, honestly, I think a lot of it is the playing in the Czech league. You still get some of those smaller leagues in, in Europe, the Czech league, the Slovakian league that don't don't get paid attention to as much outside of the really high end guys. And and Patrick Harmelo was a guy that I. I you, you heard murmurs about from like uh, some people over in Europe and you, you kind of had a few people in some of the, the public sector go, Oh, I really like this guy. And when you asked why they were like, I, I don't know what it is. I just really like this guy. And, and there's something there. And, 
And, and when you watch his tape, you, you don't really see any huge, huge weaknesses. He's a big goalie. He's got good size. He moves fairly well. I think he needs to work on his technical skill a little bit. And, and I mean, every goalie kind of needs to work on their athleticism because at the NHL level, it gets faster and faster. So you always need to improve that. So I think there's something here, though. I think there there are people out there that really liked him. He, he wasn't a guy that I, I ever really stuck out to me that, that made me want to rank him. But like you can only watch so many games of all these guys, right? And especially in the Czech league and how much time do you want to invest in scouting that when you're trying to get everyone in? And, but he was a guy that, like I said, from some of the smaller outlets, you, you, you heard people go, Oh, this is a guy I really like. And, and I mean, it makes sense. Like some of these guys that are these hidden gems are, are guys that make sense. And like you said, central scouting had him up there, but not, not a whole lot else. Sometimes central scouting gets it right. I'm not saying they do it all the time because a lot of time I think they're wrong, but this one might be one of those cases. Yeah, right. when I think of that pick, I think back to last year when Ottawa took uh, Levi Marilainen in the third mm-hmm. round and everyone was like, you know, who the hell is this guy? Nobody had heard of him. Even, you know, guys, I saw one one um, one prospect analyst on Twitter who said, you know, I ranked about 1,300 prospects for this draft and I still didn't profile this Marilainen kid. So, you know, I think it's sometimes that, you know, you just you have scouts with boots on the ground overseas, and they have a better look at some of these guys and say, "Hey, you know, maybe he just slipped under the slipped under like under the radar, or you know, maybe we see something in him that we can develop." And a year later, that pick doesn't look as bad as it did at the at the last year's drafts. People aren't questioning it as much anymore. So, I think uh, I, I kind of compared those two picks where, hey, I didn't really hear much about Hamerla through the process, but it's a case where Hurricanes have guys overseas that probably saw this kid and said. No, we see something in him that's worth taking at this stage of the draft. Yeah, yeah so, and with him, earlier, and with him going to um, Bramuski next season, it's possible that, you know, people get more eyes on him and go like, damn, wish we drafted this kid, yeah, we you know? Yeah, on one. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's going to be coming over to North America. You're going to get better eyes on him there. And like you said, that the Maryland pick, I think a lot of people really like that pick now. I think a lot of Ottawa Centers fans even consider him their best goalie prospect at, at certain points. So, it's going to be really interesting to see where Hamlet kind of winds up because like you said, goalie goalies are wild. Like it's, unless you're getting a wall set of Sebastian Cosa, I think, and even those guys dropped further than I expected them to expect, especially wall set. But yeah. unless you're getting one of those high end goalies, you're, you're kind of gambling as it is. I still think San Jose took the best goalie in Ben Goudreau, but you know, oh, I love Ben Goudreau. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I'd like to ask you about as well, you know, I thought it was going to be kind of an overage heavy draft because it's, especially with the lack of tape on some of this year's uh, draft prospects, um, like first time eligibles, the Hurricanes took two overage players in the seventh round, you know, seventh round picks. So we're not going to put too much stock into it, but they took Nikita Guslistov, who has, you know, he, he's, he's got some nice accolades in the KHL, youngest player to ever score a hat trick, uh, youngest player to ever captain his team. And then another overage smooth skating defenseman, Joel Nystrom. Nystrom, Nystrom, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, I'd like to know what you think about those two players, why they went undrafted last year, and what they did through the course of the season to get themselves, you know, back in the draft mix. Well, I think with Gu- Gu- yeah, Guslastov, he he's a guy that's a little bit smaller. He's a little bit more uh, the skill based game, and, and like you said, he's, he's got some nice accolades in the KHL and over in Russia now. So I, I think it was mo- more of just a thing where a team goes, you know what? We, we saw this guy last year. We wanted to get a seventh round pick to kind of grab him and we could, we couldn't make a trade or something. And, and Hey, he's around this year. Let's grab him. And, and with Yol Nystrom, I think he's a guy that just improved his game to be completely honest. He was a guy that 
he wasn't really on my radar, even as an overager uh, to start the season. And, and as the season kind of went on and as you watched Farjastad play, you're like, oh, this kid's kind of sticking out a little bit. And then you look into him a little more and you always undrafted as an overager. All right. Like, let's keep an eye on him. And and then, like you said, in, in the seventh round, you take him because why not? Right. Like you have the extra seventh round pick. I think I think a lot of teams need to kind of make these picks and, and you go load up on six seventh round picks like the hurricanes have done the last couple of years and you get an alexander passion you get a yol nystrom you get a gustav so you, you, i i love that strategy of going for that skill going for that 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 upside when when you there's a glaring flaw in their game and it's whether they're small or whether they're not strong enough or whatever it is you, you kind of live with that glaring flaw because you're like well maybe we can fix that so it's at least serviceable at that point but then get all that upside as well that could, could be coming with that player's game and i think both these guys have that yeah, and it's possible now that we see um, Nystrom on the either the top pair or the second pair at the World Juniors give, if, um, you know, Sweden sticks with their summer showcase roster. Yep. Yeah, I think, too, with Nystrom, when you, when you look at his draft profile and the overall specs of the player, it's almost very similar to Jesper Selgren, who was another overage player that the Hurricanes took a couple years ago. Very oh, similar, very similar. They both came up in the in the Swedish league and kind of made their stake that, hey, you know, the NHL looked me over and now both guys are playing, you know, Selgren's obviously a little further ahead in his development, but came in from a spot where he was undrafted twice to, you know, being a top pairing defenseman on his team. And obviously, you know, you hope that's the kind of the same route that Nisham can take, but yeah. So I, I was, I was definitely pretty happy with those picks as far as seventh rounders go. I think it's very high upside. Yeah. I'm always for drafting the overagers, especially late in the seventh round. Draft the overager that you thought was impressive. Draft the kid that you think maybe slipped under the radar. And, and like I said, go for that upside. Right. Especially with the Hurricanes' recent success of drafting yeah. overage players. I think it's I think it's a win-win scenario. Or draft some Russian kid that you won't see for like six, seven years. And then he comes over and, you know, becomes an NHL player right away. You know, there's no harm. Like, Beautiful. So obviously we're not here to talk about every 13 pick because like I said <laughs> – Still don't know who Yegor Naumov is, but are there any other players that the Canes drafted that, you know, I, I wouldn't say fl- flew under the radar a little bit, but maybe aren't getting as much of the recognition as you'd like? I'll go with the two QMJHL guys. I think Robert Orr didn't get enough love this year. But the new Bobby Orr, the better Bobby Orr, the kid that's <laughs> going to break all the records, you know. Um, but no, seriously, this kid's got a ton of fun. Like, he's a ton of fun to watch. He's He's got some really good passing game. He's got a nice shot. You you, you don't know exactly what he's going to be at the, end, at the at the next level, and I think that's maybe why he kind of fell to the, to the fifth round. But he's got skills. You, you see a projectable player there. You just don't know what the hell he's going to be exactly. Is he a shooter? Is he a passer? I, I personally think he's going to be a playmaker at the next level, a third line guy that can kind of push the pace and kind of be an energy guy. He doesn't necessarily need to bang bodies or anything like that, but he'll, he'll be a guy that can score a little bit on the, in your bottom six. And I, I like his game for that. And, and then Justin Robita is a guy that, Man, at the start of the year, this kid, he's so small and people were, were doubting him, including myself. And even at the end of the year, I didn't have him very high on my board. I had him just outside my top 100. So I'm not shocked he fell this far, but he plays a really solid two-way game. And and that's what you love to see out of this kid because you, you look at a smaller player and you're like, you got to do certain things to make it at the next level. And, and Justin Robodot does do a lot of those things, but in order to do a lot of those things, he kind of takes away from his offensive pop. And, and that's where you kind of worry about Justin Robodot. I think he has that offensive skill, but when he's not focused on the offensive side of the game and he's trying to play that two-way game, trying to do all the little things that smaller undersized players have to do, sometimes he kind of loses his offense. So 
it's going to be one of those situations where he's got to kind of bring everything together. Can, can he do all the things he's good at at the same time, or even kind of somewhat together. And, and then I think you can get a, a solid middle six player there. I think he could play in a second or third line, even if he is undersized. And like I said, he's, he's a smart defensive player. I think he's going to be perfectly fine in that regard. It's just whether he can be smart defensively and smart offensively at the same time. I think that's where he kind of struggles. Yeah. One, one thing I'd love to ask you about Robida is, you know, considering his size, and I know in the QMJHL he's played primarily as a center. Do you think he might have fell down draft boards a little because teams are looking at a guy, you know, he's five foot five foot seven, one hundred seventy five pounds, saying, you know, it's very unlikely that we're going to be able to trust this kid playing at the center ice position when he comes into the pros. So it's it's kind of a case where you know this is a guy that he's going to need to learn an entire new position. He's going to need to learn the new assignments of playing the wing and stuff like that. So it just caused teams to, you know, pitch a few more red flags on his overall game than maybe they should have. And the Hurricanes pick up a player that they can really develop for the long term. Yeah, I think you're right there. And I think uh, like you look at a guy like Logan Stankoven, who, who kind of had the same thing happen. He was a center. He's 5'8", about the same size. And, and I think Logan Stankoven does have a little bit more of that offensive game and does have a little bit more of the advanced game overall. But Justin Robidaugh is like a, a B minus version of, of Logan Stankoven. I think, I think there's a lot of similarities in the, the pace they play with the energy they play with kind of the, the style of game they play when they're at their best, but you, you watch a guy like that and you're like, they're five, eight, they're five, seven, they're centers. How many five, eight, five, nine centers are there in the NHL? You look around and it's Braden point and, and not many other guys. And, yeah. and not everyone can be the next Braden point, unfortunately. So I, I think Justin Robidaugh is a good gamble this late though, but if he does have to play the wing, I think he plays with enough energy, enough effort, and enough, like, I don't want to say jam necessarily, but he is a bit more of a physical player for being an undersized guy. He likes to get in there. And and I think that's kind of another thing that causes some teams to concern is, yeah, he can be 5'8 and, and be physical and get under guys' skin and, and kind of wedge himself up against the boards and under another player in a, in a board battle at the QMJHL level. But is he going to be able to do that at the AHL? He's going to be able to do that at the NHL. And I, I've said it kind of all year I, that Justin Robidaugh is either going to be a good serviceable NHLer in the style of a, a, a Tyler Ennis maybe, or he's going to be an AHL all-star. And, and there's kind of, you're, you're wondering wh- which one of those two players he's going to be, because I think he's going to find success. I just, whether it's at the AHL or NHL level, I don't know. That's totally fair. And I mean, regardless, this is a fun draft because you oh, drafted yeah. 13 players and <laughs> I mean, even if you can get two or three guys out of this draft, I still think that's a win given all of the circumstances surrounding this draft. Um, Whether it's the fact that it's a weaker draft, you know, per se, or, you know, COVID and leagues not playing, like it's, it's very possible that someone we don't expect is going to be the best (laughs) player in this draft class, you know? Yeah. Some sixth round pick probably. Right. Yeah, like I, I think there's a very good chance that you're looking at this draft and a guy like Jackson Blake kind of pops off or or a guy like Aiden Hirschstruck, he, he finds that gear that we never saw him find this year and, and they become the best player. And even though Morrow and Koivinen are serviceable at the NHL level, it's Hirschstruck and, and Robert Orr that are the guys that really came out of this draft class that you're, you're valuing. So like I said, I think the Canes did a really good job of finding value throughout. Like I look at where they got every every player and I'm like, they could have got him around ahead and I still would have liked that pick probably. Right. And that's, that's how, I mean, we've, we've been feeling about, you know, the past two drafts or, you know, the 2020 and 2019 drafts for the Canes where it's like, man, you know, Massimo Rizzo would have been a sixth round pick and I would have been cool with it, you know, or, you know, in 2020, man, you know, they could have picked uh, Nybeck with their third round pick and I would have been absolutely cool with that too, you know, so. Yeah. Took it to the actual baby. 
The fact that I'm going to be able to watch Tupitiexla and Vili Koivinen on the same ice next year. Oh, yeah. My pants are getting a little tighter thinking about it. I'm not going to lie. I, I took it to you, excellent. He's, he's a guy I've loved every time I watch him. He, he doesn't always have a good game, but he's always out there doing something fun. I, I like he's the kid so much fun. <laughs> and, and like, oh, I want him to be at the NHL level. Cause if you can do like half of the stuff he does overseas in the NHL, like I'm just going to enjoy it. It's going to be and fun. At, at oh, yeah. the U 20 level. He literally skated circles. Around the <laughs> it was so like, funny literally... watching, watching him just bully the U 20 level. <laughs> it was so mean, but I enjoyed every second. Oh, I know. <laughs> So you didn't have to do their entire team like that, dude. <laughs> well, Tony, we won't keep you for for long, but we do really appreciate you coming on. Um, let us know what you're up to. Obviously, this is your time to plug every new thing that you're up to. Uh, well, the new thing is uh, I've been working at the Hockey News in, in uh, Sports Illustrated now. I'll be working and doing some stuff for the website there. Uh, I'll be doing a weekly kind of spotlight article on uh, – whatever player looks hot this week or whatever i feel like kind of writing about and just something something to do on a sunday morning nice little read for everybody and uh when the season starts up i'll be doing my game tape series again where uh, much like the nfl draft you you get a player on, on a zoom call and you, you show them some tape and you go what were you thinking here or you you show them a goal the goalie let in you go so uh why'd you let that one in bud or you, you kind of embarrass him you, you show him some highlights you get him hyped up and you show him nice goals and everything and it's a fun time because you, you get to hear the player go well, yeah, I cut inside here and then I made the move to the outside because of this, or I, I was reading the back heel of the player here. Or I saw the goalie cheat to the side or whatever it may be. You get to hear it right from the player as they're watching the tape and the tape is up on the screen. You get to watch it as they're talking about it. It's a really fun thing I love doing. And, and I'm going to be doing that with the hockey news now and then a bigger platform. Hopefully I'll get access to a few more uh, high-end players because I got a few high-end guys this year with uh, Fabian Liesel and William Eklund and a few of the European guys. But it's a little harder to get some of these North American guys uh, uh, from the University of Michigan and whatnot without uh, much of a platform behind me. So it, it was, it's going to be nice to have the support of the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated and be able to get some uh, pretty great content, I hope, coming up this year. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Deserve, man. Congrats, and uh, we appreciate you for coming on. All right, man. Hey, thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no thanks problem. Big shouts again to Tony Ferrari for stopping by. It's nice to have him come on here and vindicate uh, how we feel about some really, really fun picks that the Hurricanes made this year. Um, so anyway, switching gears now, going back into, again, something that me and Alex have already covered a good bit, but Matt has not had his platform yet to wax poetic about Tony D'Angelo. So Matthew Soma, the floor is yours. It almost, the draft talk almost makes you forget that the Hurricanes. (sighs) Dude, I'm like posting. We can just keep talking about the draft if you'd rather. (laughs) You know what I mean, man? We we don't need to bring the negative vibes back. Right, but I'm like posting articles and shit right now, and I'm like, nobody's even going to watch this. Nobody cares about the Hurricanes anymore. I know, man. Everybody's angry. They don't want to read this shit. I posted about Buzzy Hamilton and made the mistake about looking at the comments, and I was like, oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah, I would not recommend. So letting Dougie walk obviously is a mistake, and I think that you pay him regardless of what it is. And it's like what we've been showed and, and – Everybody said so much about this already, and I kind of feel like I'm stealing content from somebody or stealing what somebody else has said, but it's, it's honestly how I feel. It's like the Hurricanes have done a great job of creating a brand that is inclusive on social media and all that stuff. But that's the Hurricanes as a marketing and social media team, you know? 
the hurricanes from a hockey and like hockey ops standpoint doesn't give a shit about any of the stuff in marketing and social media. They just care about winning games. I mean, I think, I don't know, some of the moves they've made this offseason have made me question that. <laughs> but, like, trading Ned, okay, I understand. You don't get it. But then you go out and sign Anderson and Ranta, and I'm like, I mean, this could be good, but your goaltending is just as risky yep. as a Mrazic and Ned or Mrazic and Reimer pairing. Don't it's get it. I don't. Thing. It's the same shit, different day. You're – anyways. It's risky, but, you know, I'd make the case that you could have higher upside <laughs> here. Sure. You go, you go out – and you get Ian Cole and Ethan Bear. I think that's an immediate upgrade over Jake Bean and Yanni Hockenpah. Huge, absolutely. Anyway, you spin it, sure. And that should, was a weakness. The in the should playoffs. be more balanced, and that was like yeah. a big part of my article today that I put on the Hockey Writers. Was it's going to be more balanced, right. but they're going to miss a lot of offense. Even if Tony D'Angelo comes in and has like a good year, like I, he's not Dougie Hamilton, right? I mean, worst comes to worst you get good offensive production from Tony and then Slavin has to basically be, I mean, it's going to be the MAGA pairing either way. Do you think that's going to be the pairing? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I hope not. We're going to be seeing Tony D'Angelo 20 minutes a night, at least. I'm sorry. Give me Ethan Bear with Jacob Slavin. I would rather see Bear too. Just ease my mind. It's it's not going to happen, guys. I'm sorry. He's probably going to end up on the third pair with Cole. What I want to say is that, like, the team has made little moves to improve the team, but you have to keep Dougie Hamilton. If you want this team to stay as good as they are, I don't think they are. And Tony just, it's like, and this isn't even about his politics or anything. I don't agree with them, but you know, I'm sure I don't agree with 90% of the NHL's politics. Yeah. Like that's just kind of a fact. Hockey players, like, most of the time they keep it quiet and you just live in blissful ignorance of it. But it's like with the player that's been as controversial as he has in the past with a player that's burned as many bridges as he has with a player that has abused officials. And then here's the thing. I got a lot of comments from white people on Kane's Twitter and not on Kane's Twitter. Fuck out of my mentions. If you don't follow me, um, saying oh well he used a racial slur against a white teammate like that excuses making a slur like not gonna lie if somebody used a slur against me a very white man i'd still be kind of mad yeah like it's just not cool that's not what you do like just because you used it it's not an apology for white people to accept it's not us who he needs to apologize to that's the biggest problem like who cares if white people are offended you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. The problem the problem that I have in, in addition to the team alienating their fan base and bringing in a guy who has been an issue in the locker room after hearing all this bullshit about culture in the locker room for 3 years is that he has no accountability for any of it. He, he, he said, like, yeah, I mean, I've made mistakes, but he hasn't said what those mistakes were. He hasn't owned up to it. He's just said, I'm going to be different. He hasn't shown us that he's going to be different. And he hasn't shown that he's going to be different since he was 16. That was nine years ago when he did some of this shit. And he still does the same. Like, 
it's just really frustrating. I mean, obviously the team's going to do whatever they want to do. And Tom Dundon's just going to, you know, wipe his tears with dollar bills. He's not going to care, man. Like, until sponsors start pulling out, it's not going to matter. And and it sucks. It really does. Because it's like, we've been told all this stuff. And, you know, we've been led to believe that the Hurricanes are an inclusive and, you know, welcoming organization. organization. But it is what it is. It's a brand. It's it doesn't represent the actual on ice Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, and right. you know what? I'm actually, you know, I never thought I'd say this before the free agency period opened, but I mean, I'm very relieved that the Hurricanes managed to keep Jordan Martinuk because I mean, my God, you take him out of that locker room, that's already lost. You know, Dougie Hamilton, Brock McGinn, Warren Fogle, Peter Morozik, all guys who you know were popular players and popular teammates in that room. James Reimer. Yeah, even James Reimer. I mean, they, they've lost a lot of bodies from that group and, you know, popular guys in that room. You know, you take Martinuk out of that situation too and, you know, you're bringing in a lot of new faces and obviously you've heard a lot of good things about guys like Ethan Bear and Ian Cole. These are all character players that, you know, are going to be warmly received in that room. But, I mean, it's a big shift for your culture losing, you know, that many key guys from your current group and, you know, especially bringing in a guy like Tony D'Angelo. Like, you know, you got to wonder what, each individual player in that room is going to be thinking of that. You know, I'm not sure every one of these guys is going to be, you know, re- waiting for him with a warm embrace. You really got to wonder what those guys are thinking. And I- I'm sure that, you know, these guys are all professionals. They're going to, they're going to accept Tony D'Angelo, but, you know, to have a guy like Jordan Martin, to keep him in that room. And, you know, he's obviously one of the biggest voices in that room. And, you know, obviously Rod Brindamore is not going to let any shit fly, but it's just, it, you really run a big risk having this much turnover, especially with your key guys that, you know, even though I am kind of of the mindset that maybe as a group, it's, it's kind of possible that if a lot of these signings go the right way and adapt to the group in the right way, that you actually, I think you actually could be better next year. But there's also the question of, you know, the other side of that, where, you know, you have such a big shift to, to your overall dressing room, to the voices and on the ice that is this going to be, is it going to be tough to recover from and get back to where you were next year? So it's definitely a big risk and doesn't really match up with the Hurricanes front office has led us to believe. I, so I agree with you that chemistry is a funny thing and very easily you could not mesh when you had that much turnover. Like, and that's just a general rule. It doesn't matter who they brought in. When you have that many players turning over and your culture going back to that word again, is so centered on, you know, a tight-knit group, it's very possible that things don't mesh. But at the same time, these professional athletes are so – they want to win. And I I think pretty quickly after Tony D'Angelo was acquired, they pretty much shifted to – they're going to pretty much accept him for the most part. Maybe not all of them. Maybe you're right. But I think for the most part, they're going to give him a chance. And I I really want to think – that with the people that you mentioned still in that room, you know, Jordan Stahl, Jordan Martinuk, and so on, they're going to make sure, and, and Rob Brendamore, they're going to make sure that nothing, you know, flies off the handle or goes wrong. Or if he steps out of line, I think it'll be corrected pretty quickly. I don't know. It's going to be a fascinating season. And, you know, you guys are talking about whether or not this team's going to be better. Right now, I don't think they are. 
I just I think don't. They're as good as they were last season. I, but you need a top <clears throat> six forward. Like let's let's yeah, not that's, kind of, that's let's not thing. step around it. Especially right now, with the news today of you know that Jake Gardner might be looking at surgery. He could end up on the long term IR. You're yeah. gonna have money to sign Svech, and you're gonna have enough money that if you legitimately want to bring in a top six forward, that'll really help your group and impact. Like a Tarasenko, be a Tarasenko, yeah, or a Thomas Tatar. You know, just someone to bring Somebody. in and help, help out some with some more additional scoring in your middle six. You can do that. What I want to say is like it's been a frustrating offseason because even with the Hurricanes saying they're in win now mode, it feels like the changes that they've made have been pretty minor. And especially in terms of, you know, the Hamilton for D'Angelo swap, essentially, it's they've gotten worse in a major way on their first pair. So I think it was Ben Swain on Twitter who said something like this. It's like, worst comes to worst, D'Angelo actually like does things in the community. Like the best thing that could happen is D'Angelo does things in the community and shows that he's changed. And some of the fan base is still pissed because of all that stuff. But at the least part, he shows legitimate growth from everything in the past. But the absolute worst thing that could happen is that he doesn't change whatsoever. He gets a free ride to an NHL job, basically, and then your fan base is mad because you just signed a guy that very clearly doesn't care what he's done in the past and how it's affected other people, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and that's kind of how it's looking right now is this, you're just giving this guy an NHL job saying like your, your job security is good. And like, and the thing is guarantee you there's at least 20 other NHL teams that would have done the exact same thing that the Canes did. It's just a fact. A lot of people were saying, oh, the only job he's going to have is in the KHL. And I'm just sitting there like, no. NHL teams aren't like that. I mean, the Canes were rumored to be in on Slava Voinov, man. Yeah, I remember that. And that was really depressing when that came out, too. Um, and Jake Vertanen. The Jake Vertanen rumor still it was, it was seemed kinda, a little. It was kind of debunked, but, I mean, it was, it was still there. That know, probably man. doesn't get out unless they at least like checked on him, or his I agent was why, like, hey. "He's not good at hockey either." But right. or the agent was like, "Hey, Canes, how do you feel about this player?" Maybe. And then said, "You know, I don't the Canes are interested." I don't. Hopefully, know. the Hurricanes were like, "A, he's well." Hopefully, the Hurricanes were like, "A, he's <clears> a terrible person." Yeah. And B, he's not good at hockey. So why the hell would we be on him anyway? It really sucks knowing that. I mean the fourth wall has been broken, right? You know, like hockey at the end of the day, the Canes are what they are. They're a hockey team, no matter like no manner of branding or, you know, inclusion on the social media side of things is going to change the fact that a hockey team's going to do what a hockey team's going to do. Yeah. Um, it sucks. I, I really wish that we kept Dougie Hamilton because Honestly, I don't know anything about Dougie Hamilton's politics. I don't know anything about him. I just think he's a funny guy. He's a nice guy. He was great in the room. He was a damn good defenseman. And yeah, it just sucks. But anyways, it's going to be fun covering the draft. It's going to be fun covering prospects as always. Like, it's going to be tough to not bring up Dougie Hamilton and the fact that they let him walk every time the Canes defense has a bad game. I'm not going to lie. Um, or anytime we can't convert on a power play or any time that we could have used a goal 
in a game. People were talking about Hamilton disappearing in the playoffs against Tampa, and for what it's worth, he did, but like every other player on this damn team did. Yeah. He was great against Nashville. And the reason we tied it up in game six, like whatever. But folks, if y'all don't know, I started uh, a new role as a WHL video scout for smart scouting um, with Josh Tesler and a bunch of other people. Uh, so I'll be doing that. Um, so Kane's prospects is still going to be Kane's prospects, but um, what was formerly Kane's Netfront is now Matt Soma 12, which is just going to be NHL draft content mixed with a little bit of Kane's content. I'm definitely going to be toning down the Kane's content on that uh, account just because not as many of my followers care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> But folks, we want to thank you for listening to us. It's, it's been a tough off season for a lot of people. It, it's been hard to get emotionally invested in a team where we've gotten rid of a lot of people's favorite players. I guess one of the best storylines, though, uh, from the past week is, you know, Martin Nook's back, which means uh, Emma is going to have Martin Nook back. And that's a really cool thing. Yeah. I think, you know, it was always going to be kind of weird. Um if he wasn't back with all, you know, getting her the season tickets and stuff. So I'm really excited that he's going to be back with the team because I'm a big proponent of inclusion. I love it. And so folks, thank you so much for our support. We, we really appreciate all of you. And uh, even though it's been a tough off season, we didn't say it last week, <laughs> even though <laughs> I know I talked him out of it. I think. No, no, I know. It's still a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan. Peace. Peace.